the vast majority of converts who convert through the chief rabbinate have no intent of living an orthodox lifestyle. They're teaching converts that the way into Judaism is to not be honest. They're telling the converts to accept the commandments in a very certain formula. I hereby accept to keep and observe all of the commandments. They are they are declaring before the Beit Din, before the conversion court, that they intend to live their lives as an Orthodox Jew, and that is, in fact, not their intent for the vast majority. So, outwardly, the position of the chief rabbinate is you have to intend to live as an Orthodox Jew, but that's not the reality, and everyone knows it, and that causes, in my opinion, causes a tremendous desecration of God's name. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. A few weeks ago, I asked people to suggest future topics for this podcast, and among many wonderful suggestions, one of the most common was the topic of conversion and the challenges that people who convert face, both in Israel and in Chutzlaretz. This topic will require more than one episode, and I'm getting the ball rolling today with a very interesting conversation with Rabbi Chuck Davidson. We talked about the debate over the halachic requirements for conversion, what is being done in the Israeli chief rabbinate about the 500,000 people in Israel who are sociologically Jewish, but not halachically Jewish, the argument between Rav Avadi Yosef and Rav Yashiv about whether people whose Jewish lineage is unclear should be assumed to be Jewish or not, the social problems that many converts face, the question of which Beit Din, if any, provides conversions that are universally accepted, retroactive invalidation of conversion, whether a rabbinic court should be welcoming or discouraging to potential converts, and much more. We'll get to that conversation in just a moment. First, let me remind you to share this podcast, rate the Orthodox Conundrum, and write a review on Apple Podcasts, and let us know what you think on the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Check out jewishcoffeehouse.com for the Orthodox Conundrum and other great podcasts, and remember to subscribe to them on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe to my new Substack, Orthodox Conundrum Commentary. The link is in the description of this podcast, so get your free subscription today. The Orthodox Conundrum is looking for sponsors, either to promote your business or organization, or in somebody's honor or memory. If you would like to reach thousands of listeners every week, write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com. Thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers who have access to bonus Jewish Coffee House podcasts, merch, and more. You should join our Patreon team, too. The link is in the description of this podcast. Finally, if you don't have a podcast, you're missing out on the best new way to reach hundreds and thousands of engaged listeners. But if you want to start a podcast, you need to make sure that it's really good, both in terms of content and production values, so that you will be noticed among all the other podcasting options out there. If you have opinions that you want to share with a large group of people, or a growing business that's looking for a great new marketing tool, or an organization that's looking to reach hundreds and thousands of captivated listeners, you should have a podcast and one that is of the highest quality, and we can help you make that happen. Contact me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcasts.com to learn how we can help you make a high-quality, effective, and entertaining podcast. Rabbi Chuck Davidson has been a leader in establishing non-coercive orthodox alternatives to Israel's chief rabbinate for over a decade. He currently serves as the head of the halacha department of Chupot, an organization which provides orthodox marriage services for Israeli citizens. He is also the Av Beit Din of an independent conversion court, serving converts in Israel and from around the world. 
Rabbi Davidson was born and raised in Silver Spring, Maryland, made Aliyah in 1991, and has lived in Beit Shemesh with his wife for 30 years. They have six children, four children-in-law, and seven grandchildren. Rabbi Chuck Davidson, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum podcast. Thank you for having me. I very much appreciate the opportunity. Before we begin a more in-depth examination of some of the issues surrounding conversion in 2023, Chuck, first tell me and our listeners who you are and how you became involved in conversion. Wow. Okay. Where do I begin? So I was born and raised in Silver Spring, Maryland, just outside of uh, Washington, D.C. I made Aliyah in 1991. I'm an ordained Orthodox rabbi. Most of my life, I did not work in rabbinics. I also have an MBA and uh, worked in the field of marketing for many, many years. In 2004, I joined the Jewish Agency as uh, the director of marketing, and it was there that I was exposed to the conversion issue, the conversion challenge that we have here in Israel. Uh, That's a challenge of about 500,000 people who made Aliyah based on the law of return and uh, who are not Jewish according to Jewish law. There are about half a million of them. Um, And it's a big challenge. And that's how I got involved. I got interested in this uh, sort of cohort of of Olin, of uh, immigrants who primarily made Aliyah from the former Soviet Union. And I started working to uh, establish an orthodox alternative to the chief rabbinate in conversion. The very first, uh, excuse my English, I, you know, speak Hebrewish. The very first organization that launched uh, that was a set that was an independent orthodox baked in conversion court outside of the chief rabbinate launched in 2015. Since then, my day job has been with an organization called Kupot. Uh, You actually interviewed uh, the founder, Rabbi Aaron Leibowitz. We are an organization of Orthodox rabbis that uh, officiate uh, Orthodox weddings for Israelis who either choose not to get married through the chief rabbinate but want an Orthodox uh, ceremony or those who can't for reasons that are not halakhically justified. That's my day job. I'm also very, still very active in the world of conversion. Okay. You've mentioned the chief rabbinate and the problems that they have engendered or perhaps the problems that they presented. I don't know how exactly to present it to you. I want to know what you're referring to by that, because you talked about an alternative to the chief rabbinate's solution, so to speak, for the half million people here in Israel who are not Jewish, but who are Israeli based on the law of return. So what do they do and what do you do? Yeah. So the, the chief rabbinate has not been terribly effective. Uh, at uh, addressing this uh, issue of half a million uh, self-identifying Jews. They are sociologically the vast majority of them, certainly by the second generation, have already undergone sociological conversion. The overwhelming majority are no different than the average uh, Jewish Israeli. The average Jewish Israeli, by the way, is not completely secular. They are. Uh, they keep Jewish traditions at one level or another. They are really. Uh, they're. They're no different than the average Israeli. So they've all already gone through sociological uh, conversion. In terms of halachic conversion, converting, converting according to Jewish law, the chief rabbinate has not been terribly effective. I think there are approximately two thousand conversions done per year. At least the last time I checked the numbers, there are another four thousand of this cohort born every year. By this cohort, of what I what I refer to as non-halakhically Jewish Jews. So, sociologically, they're Jews. They recognize they they self-identify as Jews. The majority of Israeli of the Israeli Jews identify them as Jews, but they are not Jews according to halakha. About four thousand are born to this cohort every year. 
then about another 4,000 of this cohort make Aliyah. So the growth is about 8,000, about 2,000 of them converted uh, are converted every year. And so uh, it's a growth of 6,000 per year. These are numbers that might might not be totally up to date, but they're approximate. The cheaper evidence has not been effective at, uh, at addressing this issue. The independent Orthodox conversion courts have taken a different and uh, much more welcoming approach and a more straightforward approach, which in my mind, by the way, these, these, this, this approach of the uh, independent Orthodox conversion courts is more in line with traditional halakha than the rabbinut's, uh, than the chief rabbinate approach. Okay, then let me ask you, maybe I realize this is a very complicated subject, but perhaps in brief, you could give us a summary of what halakhic conversion requires, what the chief rabbinate does about it, and what you do differently, such that you can say that you have a more welcoming approach that's still within halakha. Right. Okay. So there are three elements to the conversion of a male and two for a female. Let's start with the female, because there are only two. What is called kabbalat mitzvot, acceptance of the commandment. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the other is immersion in a mikveh, in a uh, Jewish ritual bath, for the sake of conversion. Those are the two uh, necessary uh, elements for converting a woman. A man also has to be circumcised if he's already circumcised, uh, but not uh, as a Jewish act, simply as a surgical act. He must have hatapatam brit done. A small, tiny droplet of blood must be drawn from his organ. Um, so those are, the, those are the three elements for a male, two elements for a female. The big debate is what does Kabbalat mitzvot, acceptance of the mitzvot, mean? Does it mean, as the rabbinut, as the chief rabbinate claims its position is, that they have to commit, honestly be committed to live as an Orthodox Jew, as a fully observant Jew? That is the official stance of the chief rabbinate. And there are other understandings of what this means, Kabbalat mitzvot, acceptance of the mitzvot, in my humble opinion, uh, it simply means that I am converting of my own free will. I understand that as a Jew, I will be obligated in all of the mitzvot, in all of the uh, commandments of the Torah, in all of the uh, body of halakha, Jewish law, just like any other Jew. And what I do with that is between me and God, just like a born Jew, by the way. Uh, in fact, a convert is a born Jew in a sense. Uh, when they go into the mikvah, they're being born again. I know that sounds Christian, but um, we were there first. They took it from us, not the, not the other way. And so, uh, so you know, just like any born Jew, you will come obligated in mitzvot, and you will be, according to Jewish tradition, you'll be punished for uh, transgressing the mitzvot and rewarded for keeping the commandments, um, just like any other Jew. And so, in my humble opinion, Kabbalah mitzvot means, yes, I understand this, and I still want to convert. That's it. Now, there are policy issues that are related, or they're, they're not halakhic issues, they're policy issues. Do we want to convert a person who will not be this or that level of observant? That's a policy issue, and it's an important policy issue, but it, it's not a question of kabbalat mitzvot. Accepting the commandments simply means I understand that I'm going to be obligated to keep these, that there is reward and punishment, and I, and I am choosing to convert. Um, so that's that's sort of a second sort of approach. So there, there are approaches in between as well. But the truth is that the chief rabbinate's real position, not on the books and not declared, is uh, also similar to that second approach. The vast majority of converts who convert through the chief rabbinate have no intent of living an orthodox lifestyle, uh, not, even, not even particularly close 
And so what the first problem that the Chief Rabinet's uh, conversion program creates is essentially they are encouraging or they're teaching converts that the way into Judaism is to not be honest. They're telling the converts to accept the commandments in a very certain formula. Um, I hereby accept to keep and observe all of the commandments. They are, they are declaring before the Beit Din, before the conversion court, that they intend to live their lives as an Orthodox Jew, and that is, in fact, not their intent for the vast majority. So, outwardly, the position of the chief rabbinate is you have to intend to live as an Orthodox Jew, but that's not the reality, and everyone knows it, and that causes, in my opinion, causes a tremendous desecration of God's name. Then let me ask you about that. You say the vast majority have no intention of actually keeping all of the mitzvot. I don't mean to push you on this, but how do you know that? How is that demonstrated? Do you have evidence for that? Um, I think you can ask just about anybody in the rabbinic world that's involved in conversion in Israel. Have I seen stats? No, I don't think there are stats. But I meet them on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I watch for the Jewish agency, which um, is one of the... uh, uh, one of the partners in a program called Native, which is, it's both army and, and civilian, but it's primarily an army program. Uh, I met hundreds of people going through that program who had been through the program, and the vast majority of them have no intent of, uh, of, of, of living anything near an Orthodox lifestyle. I've also married many of them. I've done wedding ceremonies for many of them who went through the uh, Rabbanut conversion. I mean, I, to the best of my knowledge, there are no stats uh, that are officially published. Okay, then in your opinion, why is the Rebbe Newt, assuming they know this as well, and presumably they know the same things you know, why are they insisting on a certain formula, which they know isn't accurate or forcing people to lie, if they really don't hold that halakhically that's required? Are right. they intending, and I'll get to this later on also, are they intending to revoke the conversions of these people should they be found not to be keeping the mitzvot? So that second question, uh, yes, there are, there are. Um, I don't know if that's their intent, but that does happen. I assume the reason is, I don't know, you'd have to talk to someone in the Rabbanut's uh, conversion program, but I assume that the reason is, must to do with the halachic issue. And that is a uh, a, a rule or, or a qual, I don't know how to say these things. Uh, there's a general principle, the barin shebelei benam barin. Matters of the heart are not taken into account, halachically speaking. And so we don't assume we're not psychologists. If they come before me, me, the Beit Din, the conversion court, and declare that they are going to keep them in well, I'm not going to do a psychological analysis of them to determine if they really mean it or not. If they said it, matters of the heart are not, are not um, to be considered halakhically. And so if they declare that they're going to be uh, observant, then we believe them. Uh, even though we kind of know that uh, the majority of them, that's not the vast majority of them, that's not the I assume that they want to add that halakhic element of Devarim Shabalev and Nam Devarim. That's my assumption, but I'm not sure. All right, let me ask you another question about this, Chuck, because the difference between your position that Kabbalat mitzvot, accepting the mitzvot, means understanding that they are halakhically binding even if you have no intention of doing them, versus the other position the other poll, which is, I am going to do all the mitzvot, and that's my plan. That is a very big difference. And to put it bluntly, you're assuming that you're correct in your reading of the sources. If you're wrong, though, you're converting all sorts of people who aren't halakhically Jewish and causing problems. How do you understand that you're right? Why are you convinced that your understanding of this is right? Because obviously there are major consequences if you're not. Right. 
That's a very good question. First of all, I, I studied this particular issue of Kabbalat Mitzvot for about 10 years before I really got involved in any kind of an active way. And uh, I discovered a couple of things that I'd never seen in any of the rabbinic writings, um, having to do primarily with the manuscripts of the relevant portion of the Talmud. But I spent a very, very long time on this. And then I actually did Shimosh. I uh, apprenticed with, uh, with any number of uh, leading rabbis. And, um, you know, they, it's not like I'm alone in this position. By the way, Rebeliezer Malamed is about to publish a book on this very issue. And they did unbelievably complete, comprehensive work in studying this particular issue. And they found things that I had never seen. I thought I had seen it all, but I'm wrong. I was wrong. And they found all kinds of uh, evidence that this, in fact, was practiced for generations upon generations, suddenly to prevent intermarriage, that they were converting people who at best, at best, would be somewhat traditional, but also those who wouldn't even fit the sort of Israeli cultural definition of tradition. This was done centuries upon centuries, and the position of the chief rabbinate is a relatively new position. Interesting. Let me ask you about other challenges, because until now, we've spoken entirely about the half million Jewish non-Jews or halakhically non-Jewish Jews in Israel. What about challenges for conversion in Chutzlaret, outside of Israel? Are there certain specific challenges that people deal with in terms of the general conversion process when they're not Israeli? Right. So the biggest problem, I think, throughout the world is that, unfortunately, and I can't, I can't stress how unfortunate this is, there is no such thing anymore. There is no such thing in the world as a hermetically sealed, universally recognized conversion. It doesn't exist. Not, not even among orthodoxy. The chief rabbinate's conversions are not universally recognized. The RCA's conversion, that's the modern, so-called modern orthodox rabbinic organization in North America, their conversions are not universally recognized. There's no such thing as a universally recognized conversion. And so I think that the, the large majority... I won't say all, but the very large majority of converts have hanging over their heads that at some point in their lives, and if it's a woman, at some point in her children or her grandchildren's lives, somebody of significance or some body of significance is going to call into question their halakhli Jewish status. And that is a huge, humongous problem, which causes uh, tremendous stress, angst, and suffering among converts uh, throughout the entire world, not just in Israel. What is that based upon? Meaning, what would be the reason that, at least in principle, a later Beit Din or a later person would say that initial conversion was invalid? Is it because they did not accept the mitzvot properly, or is it something else? They, 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 they're not firm enough. So they, they, uh, they didn't fit our understanding of the concept of Kabbalat mitzvot, accepting the commandment. That's the main one. You know, or even, or even, I can give you examples. Um, well, even if the person was fully observant, I can give you many examples of this. The person was fully observant, fully, fully observant from day one, but he converted through a rabbi or a conversion court, which is which tended to be more lenient. Um, so, and then in those cases, some of those cases, even though this particular person was was uh, observant from day one, still their conversion is called into question. Because the baked in that uh, that converted them wasn't strict enough in general. 
as you said, there is no hermetically sealed conversion that everybody accepts as perfectly fine and they have nothing to worry about ever. Is there something that can be done about that? It sounds terrible and horrible and probably forbidden by the Torah as the Torah itself commands us to love those who convert. Questioning whether they're actually Jews sounds like the antithesis of loving the person who converts. But I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Let's say I really do have reason to believe that the conversion isn't accurate. I don't mean suspecting everybody. I mean suspecting a very specific case. Am I not obligated to tell someone about this? Um, you should let someone know? I don't think so. If that person is about to marry a Jew, and I say, I don't think that person is actually Jewish, again, I'm not suggesting that I do this, but if somebody believes that conversion is genuinely not accurate, is not a valid conversion, if they have the opportunity to say, he should get another conversion or she should get another conversion, their children will not be Jewish, for example, is so, that something that should be done? I'm I not suggesting so. we do this. I'm I, simply I asking as a halakhic matter. I understand. I think that, uh, first of all, there's a klal. There's a, there's a rule in halakha. <laughs> A person who assimilates into the Jewish community, and and the community doesn't realize. I'm not even talking about a convert. Somebody who never converted, but somehow assimilated into the Jewish community, and nobody knows. I mean, the community doesn't know. If a few individuals do know, not only are they not obligated to tell, they are prohibited from revealing the truth. But the, what I would call sort of the objective or the scientific truth. And so, no, I would say, uh, you know, if this person has been accepted into the community and, uh, you know, has assimilated well, even without conversion. So nobody should be speaking about it. You know, if somebody comes to ask, first of all, rabbis should keep their opinions to themselves unless asked. If somebody comes and says, can I marry so-and-so? The senator, okay, maybe. Um, but just to start declaring about, about this or that person when they've never been asked, I think they should uh, stay quiet. That's my opinion. Okay, very good. Let's go back to the question of the non-Jews in Israel who consider themselves Jewish or who sociologically are already Jewish. Let's say, for example, your conversion court would be accepted. Do you think that large numbers of them would be running to you to convert? Or is this something which you're going to have to try and get into their minds that this is an important thing to do? I guess my question is this. These 500,000 Jews or non-Jews or whatever they actually are, do they want to convert? Or is this something that you have to convince them to do from their perspective? Do they even care at all? Because... Maybe they're not religious. Maybe they consider themselves Jewish enough. They're not interested. What's your opinion about that? So there's been research. First of all, very de- very much depends on how you define conversion. If conversion means taking a year-long course, uh, that's as a civilian, is uh, it's a year-long and it's, uh, what, I think six hours of study every week. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort. Um, and if it means going to the big game and having to be dishonest about my intent to uh you would be fully observant, then of course there are large numbers will not be interested in that. In fact, the best of the potential convert converts have said to me outright, I don't want to be part of that. I'm not going to go before the Beit Din and lie. And so it depends on how you define conversion. Uh, there are those that think that if, uh, let's say, if my approach were accepted, um, that large, huge numbers would come. I think, I think not. I think that larger numbers will come. Uh, but I don't think they'll come en masse. I think we, the Orthodox rabbinic world, blew it, to be honest. We're 30 years late, uh, and no matter how easy we make it now, uh, how not easy, how welcoming we make it now, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to be a Jew in Israel. It's not easy to serve in the army. It's not easy to pay high taxes. Uh, it's not easy to become Jewish anywhere, and certainly not in Israel. Uh, but more welcoming, even if we took the most welcoming approach, I don't think they would come en masse. 
I think uh, I think now, from what I understand, Rev. Malamed and, and the group that, that wrote this book, his Mahon, he has a Mahon, an institute, they wrote with the book, they're helpful that if uh, this book ha- gains traction and has significant uh, impact on conversion in Israel, that they will come en masse. I personally am not so hopeful. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And I think the reason is simple. A rabbi named Moshe Suriel wrote an article, I believe it was in 1991. It was prophetic. It was absolutely prophetic. It was at the very beginning of the wave of Aliyah from the former Soviet Union. And he said, what we must do immediately upon their landing, we should convert them. Whether or not they intend on keeping the mitzvot at any level, just make sure that they are prepared and and, and they declare that they're prepared to tie their destiny with the destiny of the Jewish people, take them for a dunk, at least for the women, they don't need Greek milah, take them for a dunk and done. And what was fascinating, he made, a, he made his halachic argument, which, you know, was interesting, but the most interesting thing was, he said, if we don't do that, then very quickly, the uh, immigrants will lose interest and Israeli society will lose interest because they'll simply accept themselves and Israeli society will accept them as, as Jewish. And that's exactly what happened. There is no reason, there's no pressing reason to convert because in their own eyes and in the eyes of the majority of the Israeli public, they're already Jewish. And in fact, I don't deny that. Sociologically, they're already Jewish. Uh, they're not halakhically Jewish, but they are sociologically. They're no different than the rest of us. They passed the duck test, the majority of the second generation. Is there a real issue, Chuck? You spoke about the people just now, and Rev. Suriel talked about the people getting off the plane, take them immediately for a dunk and make them Jewish halachically. How about people whom we don't know if they're Jewish or not? Is that a big group within this 500,000, or is it a separate group? I'm talking about people, I've just heard stories, maybe they're not true, but about they claim they're Jewish. The Rabbanut says we don't have evidence, and therefore we're going to consider you, I don't even know, in limbo or something. Is that group a large group, or is that just a small percentage of this total? So no one knows the exact percentages, but in fact, that's a second related problem in Israel, and that is proving that you're Jewish. Okay, many of these people who can't get married, let's say, in the chief rabbin, and that's the only way to get legally married in the state of Israel at the moment, many of them are are Jewish. They know they're Jewish, but they don't have sufficient documentation to prove it to the chief rabbinate, even though many, 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 many of them have sufficient documentation the permit to the Ministry of Interior in order to make Aliyah. And they're registered as Jewish in the Ministry of Interior. Uh, but to the Rabbanut, the, the evidence that they uh, that these Olim presented to the Misrata Panin, to the Ministry of Interior, is not sufficient for the Rabbanut. So you have hundreds of thousands, I would imagine, certainly many tens of thousands, of people who in fact are Jewish, who proved it to the Misrata Panin, um, but are lacking sufficient documentation to uh, prove it to the chief rabbinate, and therefore can't get married here. I should mention, this is very important, Rabbi Yosef published a tshuva in 1993, uh, where he said that the, the, what, what was the halacha for 2,000 years still is the halacha, and that is, ha'omer Yisrael eman. Somebody who says I'm Jewish is to be believed. Unless there's solid evidence to think otherwise. If a person declares, I am Jewish, you, you are to believe them unless you have reasonable evidence to suspect that that declaration is not true, that either they're mistaken or that they're lying. But otherwise, even lacking documentation, if the person says, I'm Jewish, 
then the default is you believe them unless there's sufficient reason to think otherwise. The Rabbanut's position is exactly the opposite. You're not Jewish until you prove yourself Jewish. And it's a big problem. Um, there are, as I say, tens of thousands who are Jewish, who prove themselves Jewish in this Rabbanut, but the Rabbanut does not accept as having sufficient evidence. This is another group that has tremendous problems getting married in the state of Israel. By the way, this is not only for Russian Olim. It started with the Russian Olim, but it is gradually expanded uh, to all Olim, or not just all Olim. Anyone whose mother did not get married in the chief rabbinate will run into this problem at one level or another. A person whose mother got married in the chief rabbinate, so they simply bring the ketubah and or the marriage certificate of the mother who got married to the rabbinate, and that proves in the eyes of the rabbinate that the mother was Jewish and therefore the kids are Jewish. But what about people who came from Chutzlaris? I have my mother's ketubah, at least according to the books. I'm not talking about what happens on the ground. But in the books, my kids should not have been able to get married uh, without going through a, um, an investigation of their Jewishness. Uh, because the, the ketubah is not from the Rabbanut, it's from Chutzlaris. And it, means not, it doesn't mean anything in the eyes of the Rabbanut. It doesn't prove that my wife is Jewish in the eyes of the Rabbanut. Um, so this, this problem is expanding, not just uh, to uh, Russian Olim, but uh, to Olim from, from, from around the world, and also to regular old Israelis whose parents, whose parents did not get married in the Rabbanut. Chuck, you just said that Ravadi Yosef, that's all, said that the halachic principle of somebody who claims that he's Jewish is believed unless there's evidence to the contrary, meaning we presumably are working with the Chazakah, he's telling the truth and he acts like a Jew or he says he's Jewish and there's no reason to believe he's not a Jew. From the Rabbanu's perspective, as best as you understand it, What's the reason that they don't accept that principle, or do they accept that principle, but in practice on the ground, they sort of just ignore it? No, they don't. They didn't accept that. They didn't accept the opinion of Rabbi Yosef. This is to the best of my understanding. I've never worked in the Rabbanut, um, so it's just to the best of my understanding. They accepted the position of Rabbi Yoshin. Rabbi Yoshin's position was you need to investigate uh, as much as, you know, to, to, uh, to, to the best extent possible. Tichol ha'ekshar. As best as possible, you need to investigate to ensure that they are Jewish with the maternal line. Now, what is in Tichola uh, is as best as possible, as much as possible? Well, you can stretch that very, very, very far. And that's exactly what the Rebbeinah does. Um, and it's gotten worse over the years. You know, there's an organization called um, Sharashim. Uh, it's sort of related to Tzohar. And they help Olin primarily from the former Soviet Union out documents that prove that they're Jewish. You know, think about it for a moment. For 70 years of, uh, of communist rule, there were no religious ceremonies, uh, not just in Judaism, but in any religion. And keep in mind also that there was World War II and the Holocaust, and a lot of documents were destroyed and lost. Um, so it's kind of hard to come up with documents that don't exist. At any rate, um, uh, uh, so helped Olin uh, find from the former Soviet Union Track down documents to prove that they're Jewish. As time has gone on, and I heard this from one of the rabbinic founders of Shorashim off the record, I certainly won't mention his name, that as they got better, as they, Shorashim, got better at tracking down documents, the rabbinic got more and more strict about how much and what kind of documentation is needed. This sort of backfired. Um, they've only gotten stricter over time. It's a real problem. But they, they are basing their position on Rebel Yashiv, the position of Rebel Yashiv, and they're taking their understanding what he said to the extreme. This is sort of a theoretical question, but from the perspective of the Rabbanut, which is working with that position of Rabbi Yashiv Zetzal, 
what is the status of the person in question? Meaning, imagine that this were a halachic state, okay? And now we have the right, a Beitin can punish somebody for violating Shabbat, for example. Would they say this person is chayat for violating Shabbat, but he can't get married? Like, are they working on both ends? He's Jewish in terms of the Chumrah, but he's not Jewish in terms of marriage. What exactly is their position? Yeah, so that's a really, really good question. The reality is that the majority, I think even a large majority of cases uh, where the Rabbanut uh, does not paskin, does not rule that the person is Jewish, they also don't rule that you're not Jewish. You're in a state of limbo. So, for example, you know, there is a possibility, a law was passed, I can't remember, maybe 12 years ago, that allowed civil marriage between two people who are religionless. There is no such thing as civil marriage in the state of Israel. It's all ruled by the religion as, that you're part of. But there are all of these people that uh, came from the former Soviet Union that are defined as not having a religion. So those people, a man and a woman, who are both defined as not having a religion, can civilly marry each other. I think about four people have taken up taken this up in the last 12 years. I might be exaggerating, but it's certainly under 100 in the last, what, 12 years. And part of the reason is, in order to get married civilly, you have to prove to the rabbinate that you're not Jewish. So it's the exact same, same problem in reverse. Exactly. And so in the large majority, where the rabbinate will not give the issuer, will not give the okay to their Jewish status, they also won't say you're not Jewish. You're in a limbo. Which, in, by the way, halakhically, is the absolute worst status that you can possibly be in. Because maybe you're Jewish and you're not allowed to marry a non-Jew. Maybe you're not Jewish and you're not, mar- and you're not allowed to marry a Jew. So who can you marry? No one. That's the answer. No one. It's like being a suffix mamzer. A doubtful mamzer is much worse than being a mamzer. A mamzer can marry another mamzer. A suffix mamzer cannot marry. A mamzer cannot marry. A non-mamzer cannot even marry a suffix mamzer. So it's sort of the same thing in this Jewish in this Jewish identity thing. If you're stuck in limbo, then halakhically at least, you're not allowed to marry anyone. I want to ask you, Chuck, about the legality of what you're doing right now. I know when I spoke to Rabbi Leibowitz about chupot, he said it does straddle the line at times in terms of whether in the state of Israel marrying people outside the Rabbanut is legal or not. It's not so clear that it's not legal, but it's not so clear that it's legal either. I'm wondering if the same problems are true regarding conversion. Is there such a thing as independent conversion courts in Israel that are legal? They're all legal. That is to say they are not breaking the law. That is 100% clear. It is not illegal to convert outside of the, uh, outside of the uh, framework of the Rabbanut. It's simply not recognized at least not by the Rabbanut. Is it illegal? No. Is it legal in the sense of being recognized legally? That depends. Some of them are recognized by Nisrat Apneen. For example, if you convert reform in Israel, or if you convert conservative in Israel, you can go to the Nisrat Apneen, to the Ministry of Interior, and change your status from non now having no religion to being Jewish. You can change that in the Nisrat Apneen, in the uh, Ministry of Interior. But the rabbinate won't recognize it, and so you still can't get married here. But is it illegal? No. 100% it's legal. Simply not recognized. And are there some conversion courts, perhaps of the Badats, I don't know, of the Edach Haredit, that I don't know if they have a conversion court, but are there some conversion courts that the rabbinate does accept and says, yes, we accept that conversion in Israel as valid? I believe so. There's a conversion court of Karelitz. Zatzal, he's, he's Nifter, but it's, the Beitin is still called after his name. I believe, although I'm not certain, that in some cases the rabbinate will recognize it. You know what? I might be wrong. I honestly, you know, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. 
Okay, that's fine. Uh, let's move on to something else. I want to go back to what you mentioned before about the welcoming issue. And in general, one of the things that were always brought up learning about conversion is that we don't proselytize, as Jews were against that. And we therefore discourage converts and tell them, why do you want to join the Jewish people? We have so many problems. And we effectively try to kick them away and see if they keep coming back. And I understand that's a theoretical, you have to say it one time maybe or not, but very often conversion courts, perhaps in Chutzlars, perhaps in Israel, I don't know. I've just heard about this. I've never been involved, but they will make it difficult. They won't necessarily return phone calls and they will take a very long time before actually allowing anything to move forward. So in terms of halachic conversion, number one, is that required or encouraged? And number two, if it is to some degree, how should it be done? Should it be done that way or is it being done incorrectly? So I personally follow exactly what it says in the Talmud, in the Shulchan Aruch, in the Rambam. You're supposed to tell a convert uh, a number of things. You inform them, by the way, you don't teach them Torah. You inform them of a number of things. And by the way, the main section of the Talmud that deals with this is in Yibamot 47. And it describes the conversion process using the word immediately. Not once, not twice, but three times. It all happens very quickly, according to the Talmud. And the Talmud even asks, why so quickly? And then Talmud answers, because we don't put off doing a mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is accepting converts. That's the mitzvah. So um, things have changed a bit uh, somehow. But anyway, the Talmud and the Shulchan Aruch and the Rambam uh, describe what you're supposed to tell a convert. First of all, you inform them that there are mitzvot, that there are lots of mitzvot. You tell them now, you go into a little bit of detail. I don't mean in terms of teaching Torah, but you... you Name some of the more, uh, some of the weighty mitzvot and some of the less weighty mitzvot. You tell them that there's a Sahara and Onesh, that there is a reward and punishment. Um, you tell them that it's very difficult to be Jewish. The world hates us. They're out to get us. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but yes, anti-Semitism is a real thing. and always has been, and it still is. And we have had to pay a very, very heavy price at certain points in our history for being Jewish. They have to uh, be hold all of this because we, we want them to make an informed decision. Uh, we want them to understand the weightiness of their decision, by the way, because there's no such thing as a return ticket. You know, Rabbi Biden used to say, it's a one-way ticket. You can enter, but you can't, you, you can't leave. Uh, there's no return ticket. I like to say it's like the Hotel California. It literally is like the Hotel <laughs> California. You check out, but you can never leave. You're Jewish for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not. But that's what you're supposed to tell a convert. And if they accept it, if they accept that and they say, yes, I accept this and I still want to be Jewish. Then you convert them immediately. That's how the Talmud describes it. Assuming that they have no ulterior motive. So that does take a while. You have to check to make sure they don't have an ulterior motive. For example, you want to marry a Jewish person, which, by the way, is not is not as big a deal. It's really not an issue for most converts nowadays. Back then, until the emancipation, there was no way for people of two different religious groups to marry. It wasn't possible. If two people from different religious groups wanted to marry, one of them had to convert. And so one can imagine converting for the sake of marriage. That almost doesn't exist today because you can simply get civilly married. It's that simple. All amounting for money because, you know, Jews have a lot of money. And so I want part of that money or or, or control. Jews control the wealth. We have to to ensure that there aren't uh, purely ulterior motives, purely ulterior motives. Once that is determined, then then it's all very quick. And those ulterior motives don't really exist so much, certainly not to the extent that they did, you know, uh, before the emancipation. In that case, why is it that at least we hear so many stories about 
converts being pushed away by Batidin, that the court is not being welcoming at all. Perhaps you can tell me that those stories are apocryphal and it doesn't happen that often, but I've heard over and over that they're generally, maybe there are many exceptions, and again, I don't really know, but they're generally not welcoming and they make it very difficult for converts. Where did that come from, if it's true? I don't know. It is true. And I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I'm not a sociologist and I'm not an historian. Uh, I, I, I honestly don't know when and why these things changed. You know, I, I've heard the argument, well, until, you know, until the reform movement, it could be assumed that every everybody who converted would be an observant Jew, would be, you know, what we call an Orthodox Jew. I don't think that argument holds any water whatsoever. In fact, I think it's um, it's just wrong. And I can prove it, too, or I can provide evidence for it. You know, there's, there's a sugi in Shabbat where uh, a, a non-Jew comes to Shammai and says, uh, basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He says, I believe in, ta- in uh, the written Torah, but not in the oral Torah. And that means in order to teach me the written Torah. And, uh, you know, Shammai pushes him away. He comes to Hillel, Hill converts him. Now, this was during Bayat Shani. This was during the Second Temple period. Tell me. Was Halakhic Judaism the only stream of Judaism that existed during the, during the uh, towards the end of the Second Temple period? Certainly not. Certainly not. And so it could not be assumed that one was going to be later his life as a Halakhic Jew during that period. And that's exactly where we want this story of Hillel and Shammai. And by the way, as I understand it, that person was coming and saying, I want to compound as a Tznuki, as a Sadducean. That's what I, I don't want to be a Prushi. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I want to be a Tznuki. I want to be a Sadducee. That's what he was saying. I want to accept Tarshim Echad, not Tarshim Al-Pen. What did Hillel do? He converted. Okay, now we can argue about why did Hillel do that. But what's clear is when the whole body of Halakha in conversion was developing, at the time it was developing, there were many uh, Zeramim, many versions of Judaism. Uh, I don't think any less than today. And so that the the argument that well before you know before the reform it can be assumed that they would be observant Jews that doesn't hold water. Interesting. I want to ask about something you said before, Chuck, when you mentioned that it's a mitzvah to bring non-Jews under the kanfei shechina, the wings of the divine presence, by making them Jews if they want so, to. If they want to, meaning not to forcibly convert them, of course. So, do you believe? And I've heard some people say that for two thousand years we weren't a proselytizing religion, but. We also know historically that back in the time of, of when Rome was dominant, Jews were at times proselytizing and convincing pagans to become Jews, as far as I understand. So some people have suggested maybe it's time for us to do that again. Again, only if people want it, but effectively do kiruv to the non-Jewish world and say not just become someone who observes the seven mitzvot of Bnei Noach, but actually let's make them Jewish. So if it is a mitzvah, do you believe that we should go out there and try as best as we can in a non-coercive manner to convince people to become Jewish? No, I, I don't agree with that. I think we should be very welcoming. It's a mitzvah to welcome converts who uh, call their own accord and really want to be part of the Jewish people. That's a huge mitzvah. But to go out and market it, so to speak, I'm not in favor of that for a simple reason. I mean, unlike, I, I can't speak for other religions, but I, I think unlike other religions, you don't have to be Jewish to be cool in the eyes of God, right? I mean, Christians are fine. Muslims are fine. They are, they are monotheistic, ethical religions. I mean, a non-Jew who wants to be a Christian, a non-Jew who wants to be a Muslim, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. So why would we want them to, why wouldn't we want to encourage them to be Jewish? I'm not in favor of that. If of their own accord, they, they come and they say, hey, you know, then we should be very, very welcoming. Yes, but not to go out and push it. No, 
I don't think so. Okay, makes sense. We've talked a lot about the obstacles that people face when they're trying to convert. I'd like to shift a little bit and ask about obstacles that people face after they've converted, both in Israel and abroad. Could you outline, Chuck, some of the issues that people have once conversion has already taken place? And I'm not speaking about the Beitin that 20 years later says that wasn't a valid conversion. I mean, on the ground, how is it for converts very often? Understanding, of course, that every situation is by definition individual and different, but what are some of the common obstacles and problems that people who convert to Judaism face? So I think that um, these are just gut feelings. I haven't seen research on this. This is just from my own work over the last whatever number of years. I think that uh, Jews are, the Jewish people as a whole, tend to be a little bit um, xenophobic, you know, and that's easy to understand. You know, if they slaughter you and burn you and gas you and everything for 2,000 years, you might just become a little bit xenophobic. Um, so I think the Jews are tend to be a little bit xenophobic. It's an outsider is viewed uh, with some level of, I don't know, discomfort. And I also think that there are, I think there's a sense among many Jews that there's something about us, like genetically, like, you know, if you're not genetically Jewish, you're not really Jewish kind of thing, which has no basis in anything. I've even had really good Jews say to me who are with me, who are, who are in favor of what I'm doing in conversion, essentially uh, in favor. But they say, they've said to me, aren't you worried about our bloodline? And I'm like, what bloodline? We don't have a bloodline. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> like, I don't even know what that means. And so I think there is a lot of reservation, reservations, and not just among the Orthodox, although I think it's most intense among the Orthodox to not be fully accepting of converts and to always, uh, you know, have that sort of, I don't know, eye on them kind of thing that you're not really fully Jewish. I think a lot of converts experience that. The sociological issue, and by the way, in Orthodox, in Orthodox circles, the fallout rate of those who started out being fully observant and then become not fully observant is my sense. I haven't seen figures is quite high. You're speaking and, about uh, converts now. Converts. Yeah. Um, it's quite high. That's my sense. And the rabbis are often saying, you see, uh, we may, you know, we shouldn't have converted this person. They're not stable. They, they end up becoming not from, um, and, and the reality is maybe it's because, or at least part of the reality is maybe it's because of how you're treating them. Maybe. Would that be part of it? I think it is. Um, so I think there are all kinds of sociological issues. Putting aside the question, the, the conversion being questioned, which is a big issue, putting that aside, I think there are sociological issues as well that they that many of them, if not the majority of them, face. And of course, that's the violation of a Doraita, Torah law, oh, where you're supposed huge. to love the ger. It's, it's obviously not just a sociological problem. It's a major halachic problem. Oh, humongous. Look, in general, I think one of the biggest revolutions that Judaism brought to the world is not only that you should not exploit people who are more vulnerable, I shouldn't say weaker, who are more vulnerable than you, you shouldn't even empower them. Uh, that, I think, is a humongous revolution that Judaism brought to the world. And, and think about it. You're, you made Aliyah, right? You experienced the experience of a stranger. You're an outsider coming to a foreign country where you don't speak the language, you don't really understand the culture, and it's easy to exploit you. Um, and that's, that's you know, a, a, a convert is an Oleh on steroids. And so uh, they're vulnerable because they're strangers. They're coming for, as outsiders. We're supposed to not only not mistreat them, but we're supposed to treat them with special love. And unfortunately, we're not very good at it. 
I realize this isn't your area of expertise, at least I don't think so, but what would you recommend that we do as a society in order to avoid this problem? Because as you said, xenophobia might be ingrained from years of having people outside the Jewish community treat us in very, very negative ways. So whether it's justified or not in terms of history, in practice, it's a terrible way to treat people who are fully Jewish and whom God says you have to love for two reasons. Number one, you have to love every Jew. And number two, you have a special mitzvah to love the convert. So what would you recommend that we do as a society, as an Orthodox society, to try to overcome some of that ingrained suspicion or whatever else it is that's causing us to violate the Torah? So I'll relate to Israeli society because that's the society I know best. I just, a year ago, passed, the majority of my life is now in Israel. I really can't speak to Hutzlaritz to outside of Israel. I can speak to Israel, though. I think part of the problem, and it's not just in conversion and how we relate to converts, I think it's many of our problems, relate to the following. You can take the Jew out of Galut, but you can't take the Galut out of the Jew so easily. Um, we still very much have a Galut mentality. And that is, to, I mean, after 2,000 years, it's understandable. We feel uh, that we're, you know, the world hates us. I mean, part of the world still does hate us. And that, uh, you know, we're still very much xenophobic. I think we have to get over it. Um, I, I can certainly say that when I made Aliyah 32 years ago, approximately, uh, I was a bit xenophobic, maybe even a bit, bit more than a bit xenophobic. And somehow, I think I've pretty much gotten over it. But getting the galut out of the Jew takes a long time. So we have to sort of, we have, and by the way, I think that the situation, other than the, the Rabbanut and getting married, the situation for converts, I think, is better in Israel. Because an Israeli will look at you and say, oh, you know, you're just like me. Like, you're no different than the average Israeli, um, if they are, in fact. And we're talking, let's say, about the second generation of Russian Olim. They're full of Israeli. In the eyes of the average Israeli, you're not different than me. You're Jewish. You're not even without conversion. So I think that um, I think the situation here is 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 better because sociologically, again, the second generation, let's say, of, of Russian Olim, uh, they're sociologically already Jewish, and so all those sociological issues don't exist. Maybe within the firm community, I don't know, uh, but not in the general Israeli community. And so I, I think we have to think now. I think there's good reason to be xenophobic in, in the Hutzla Aretz. Uh I don't think it exists. I don't think there's as good a reason here, with the exception of Iran. Um, I don't think anyone's looking to destroy us. And even if they are, we're perfectly capable of defending ourselves. So we have to be a little bit less scared of, uh, of foreigners. I think that would help a lot. Okay. Rabbi Chuck Davidson, as we finish up, I want to ask you your vision for the future, what you think or what you hope will happen in the future. Because even given everything that you're doing, working in order to make conversion, as you would put it, more halakhically appropriate and easier and more welcoming, in practice, the Rabbanut remains whatever it is, and as you said, getting stricter, if anything. So do you see, number one, do you see things changing? And number two, what would you hope would happen in the future in a realistic way? How will things change if you could control destiny? Um, in terms of a conversion? Yes. First of all, I would like the situ- I would like conversion to go back to the way it was for 2,000 years. Just read the Shohanar, read the Rambam, read the, read the relevant Sogya and Yavamot. You know, and just go back to what was. Uh, that, that would be wonderful. That's my dream. And I think that, you know, the problem is in Israel is no longer really a conversion problem. The moment that independent Orthodox conversion courts started appearing on the scene, the problem isn't in conversion anymore. There are plenty of people that are con- not huge numbers, but they're growing. Of people who are converting Orthodox, not through the revenue. Where's the problem? They can't get married here. 
So the, the rabbinic monopoly on conversion, even on orthodox conversion, is already broken. What's not broken is their is their uh, is their their monopoly on marriage. So a person, let's let's say, who converts through Gior Kalafa, where Rav Nachman Eliezer Rabinovich was the Nazi of that. I mean, you don't get bigger than Rav Nachman Eliezer Rabinovich. I mean, they're obviously Jewish. They're 100% Jewish. But they still can't get married in the state of Israel. So my dream is that uh, the monopoly, at least I'm talking in terms of conversion and the, and the, the, the world of converts in Israel, uh, my hope is that the monopoly of the chief rabbinate in marriage will be broken. And uh, then anybody who converts, I'm, I'm also in favor of freedom of religion. Uh, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not in favor of uh, religious coercion. Uh, and, you know, Rabbi Sachs once, once said, I'm paraphrasing, um, that religion acquires influence as it relinquishes power. And my dream is the Rabbinu will become less powerful. Religion will gain more influence. And, uh, and hopefully as part of that, the chief rabbinate's monopoly on marriage will end. And then I think it will get much, much better for converts, not only here, but throughout the world. And certainly the last point you made, I've said for a long time and very frequently on this podcast that, in my opinion, the most dangerous and worst thing for Torah Judaism in Israel is the power that political Judaism has over Torah right now. Absolutely. So I certainly am on the same page with that. And Chuck, everything you've said today, I'm sure it's going to be controversial for many people, but at the same time, I know 100% whatever you're doing is the shame of Shemaim. You're doing it in order. Lahagdil Torah, Lahadira, and for the Haftemetager and Avat Klal Yisrael. So I salute you and applaud what you're doing. And thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I very much appreciate it. Have a Shavuot Subscribe to the Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of the Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in Orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest Orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.